Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, where we go back to the past and read a comic from the yesteryears years of publishing. You can hear us every Sunday or every other Sunday, or sometimes every Sunday on the Weird Science DC dot, DCComics.com podcast feed. And that goes through iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and via Looney Tunes gimmicks. Uh, we yes. have a requested book this week. We do. This is a request from a, a good friend of uh, the show, Joe Crawford. He's at J3K underscore C on Twitter. He uh, maintains the non-discerning reader blog, or for the non-discerning reader blog, at flarejoe.tumblr.com. He actually hails from the Quad Cities, where a wild dog is hey, from. Hey, look at that. How about that? <laughs> you know, that fictional city. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I guess someone's got to live there. Uh, it's it's a real place. Uh, I know that was one of the things when I was doing my wild dog research. People were like, oh, the the fictional Quad City, and it's like, no, that's that's actually a place. Oh no, it's a real place. Quad City yeah. DJs was a, was a band I used to listen to too. Yes, they get down on it. Or... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but he requested that we discuss Boris the Bear number one. This is a story by uh, Mike Richardson with a script by Randy Stradley and James Dean Smith. Uh, art throughout by James Dean Smith. Cover price, $1.50 USD, $2.30 Canadian. You, you don't uh, see weird Canadian prices like that anymore. They, they always round to the, to the 95 or the 99. You don't see like 30 cents, but anyway. Yeah, a lot of my uh, like Tales of the Teen Titans towards the end of the run are Canadian, so they're all like $1.30. It's very strange. Weird. Uh, yeah. uh, this hit the uh, stands uh, July 1st, 1986. It was published by Dark Horse Comics. And you will find out there's a very good reason that Dark Horse Comics published it. <laughs> but first, we will do some bios, as we usually do. Uh, these are fairly short, but we have a lot of stuff power-packed into the back end of this episode. So uh, stay tuned. Mike Richardson, he was born June 29th, 1950 in, Mil- in Milwaukee, Oregon. Not Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's spelled differently also. Yeah. He, yes. is, he is the president of Dark Horse Entertainment. Uh, founder and president of Things from Another World Comic Shop. That's uh, TFAW.com, and I actually do and have used them. Mm-hmm. Started an art agency while still in college in Portland State University. It was called Dark Horse Graphics. He used a credit card to open his first shop, originally called Pegasus Fantasy Books. And he started creator own Dark Horse Comics line in 1986, this very year, with Dark Horse Presents. Uh, number one, which exceeded expectations fivefold. Richardson had expected to sell 10,000 copies. It actually sold 50,000, so mm-hmm. exactly fivefold. Very good. <laughs> From Dark Horse Comics, Richardson started Dark Horse Entertainment, originally Dark Horse Productions, and films such as The Mask and Time Cop were produced under their brand. Richardson has since won an Emmy for producing a Don Rickles documentary, which I would not mind seeing. Yeah, why not? Uh, I think it's called, like, Mr. Happy or something like that, or whatever. Whatever Don Rickles is... Uh, catch your nickname is it's what it's called. I forget what it, what is the yeah, right. It was Mister Something, but uh, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll look it up while you uh, talk about okay, Randy. Okay, we go to Randy here. This is a Randy Stradley. We, the thing of this is uh, the creative team. There's precious little information on on them online for them online. Um, Randy was born March fourth, nineteen fifty six, in Massachusetts. He is the uh, co-founder of Dark Horse Comics and is currently the vice president or executive vice president or. One of those. Uh, the artist, James Dean Smith. We have nothing on this guy. No, it's like a mystery, a real enigma, this fellow. 
He's probably he's probably shacked up with uh, Mark Nevelo. Yeah, right. Yeah. On that island. If, <laughs> of... if you're listening, James Dean Smith, contact this uh, podcast, please. <laughs> yes, please do. We'd like to talk to you. Um, he has a blog that hasn't been uh, updated since 2009. Uh, no email address to, for us to reach out to. And uh, as far as I can tell, uh, there was no social media presence either. Uh there's actually a lot of people with that name too. Yeah, it's not that. Yeah, I'm um, sure it's shocking. <laughs> yeah, James Smith. Wow, that was a real hard to hard to find people. Uh, yeah, but really, I mean, I don't. I wouldn't expect anyone listening to know where this guy is. But if you do, please uh, write to us. We'll give the email yes. at the end of the show. Um, and we're just gonna jump right in because, like I said, the back end is power packed with some stuff. So, uh, Boris the Bear number one, which is subtitled "Boris the Bear Slaughters the Teenage Radioactive Black Belt Mutant Ninja Critters." The cover is white and Boris the bear, basically an anthropomorphic bear in a Rambo costume, which would have been a lot more relevant in 1986, I want to point Certainly. out. Uh, poses <laughs> with a smoking automatic gun and a gleaming samurai sword, looking angrily over his shoulder at the reader. Now, Chris, this is really nitpicking. Mm-hmm. In the book, Boris calls this gun his Uzi. This is this this is not an Uzi, right? This is an SMG. We, we know Uzis, and this is not an Uzi. I mean, you know, an Uzi looks like a little, you know, you're holding on a remote control for your television, and then this thing's yes. got sights. I, I just, I'm just saying, it wouldn't fly today with with people's knowledge of COD and Gears of War and whatever else. Everyone's a gun expert, including myself. Um, anyway, the Boris logo also has Boris in the face of the O, and he's still wearing the Rambo headband, and the inside cover has a letter from creator Mike Richardson which may be both, Chris and I have the second printing of this. Yes. So this letter may be unique to the second printing. We're not sure, but it's it's here nonetheless. Yeah, and the, uh, the first half of this note is kind of the secret origin of this particular comic book. Uh, Mr. Richardson was fed up with the proliferation of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle ripoffs. They were coming out monthly. It's mm-hmm. just, every month there was just an explosion of, of you know, adjectived <laughs> fighting style yeah young uh, radio animals yeah, young animals <laughs> yeah um he pitched this book to randy stradley who was quite enthusiastic uh interestingly uh, richardson's richardson credits james dean smith with creating the character i guess uh boris was going to be a character no matter what yeah my um, understanding is he he I think we see at the end is something from James Dean Smith, and he had been drawing it already, like he had yeah. had ideas already and kind of shoehorned them onto this. Yeah, we have a, a quote here from uh, Richardson's piece. Enter James Dean Smith. James was working on a strip featuring a tough little character, uh, tough little comic collecting band named Boris. I explained our noble cause to him, and the very next day began on Boris the Bear Slaughters, the Teenage Radioactive Black Belt Mutant Ninja Critters. <laughs> the, the last paragraph is a warning that this comic is quite violent. So it's you know pretty much saying, hey, hey, young teens, yeah, this is a book for you. You want this comic book? They should have put the letter on the front, and been like extra violent. You know, probably would have sold <laughs> yes. even better. Blood and guts. You know, but uh, yeah. So our story now begins proper, and it's Boris in a treehouse reading comic books. Yes, Boris. He says in caption. This place isn't so bad. Quiet street, nice residential neighborhood. Peter, my boy David's grandfather, owns the house. Peter's an okay guy. He was a robotics expert for NASA before he retired. Eccentric, but safe. And I just want to get this out of the way now. So Boris is David's childhood teddy bear come to life? And then 
How does that work? Uh, you, you know, so but he he's alive. David's not even there. So is he alive when David? We'll find out. He's alive when David's there. There's never a time you ever see him go back to teddy bear form. He's always no. just an anthropomorphic bear. So is David just hanging out with a cartoon character? I'm not really sure. Uh, but whatever, we will we'll just roll with it. Um, <laughs> Boris is reading several comic books angrily, and the titles are the uh, Puerile Phosphorent Phosphorescent Pugilistic Prairie Dogs. Beardless Breeder Reactor Boxing Bobcats, Immature Isotopic Internecine Inchworms, and this last one infuriates him enough to actually rip up the book. <laughs> and these titles sound silly, but they're not outside the realm. No, the, the, you'll, you'll hear later. We're going to rattle off some titles. They really are. They could be books. They could have been they books. They could be. Yep. They could have snuck a real one in here and we wouldn't even notice. Probably, yeah. Um, so he tears this book up. That's all he can stansk. He can't stansk no more. Uh, he marches stiffly into the treehouse's exit. And uh, on the way out, Boris is spotted by David, who has taken out the garbage. Uh, after chiding him for sleeping in late, David invites Boris to the, you know, their weekly trip to the comic shop. Boris declines because he's busy. David, in a thought bubble, thinks to himself, What? That's the first time Boris ever turned down a trip to the comic shop. I wonder if he's feeling all right. Now, Boris, we see standing atop a staircase leading down to the basement. It's sort of a frontal view up towards him. And there are some things down there he needs, but he's afraid to go down because it's dark. And the light switch is at the base of the stairs, which is always, it's a prime case for a horror movie right here. <laughs> so in the same long panel, he rushes down the stairs with a zip and turns on the light. Woo, made it. I knew there was nothing to be afraid of. Boris comes up to a door with a sign reading, Keep Out, taped to the front, but uh, Boris doesn't keep out. I wonder if he can, oh, he can clearly read. He, he reads yeah, comic books. Sure. <laughs> Boris goes, Some folks may be content to sit on the sidelines and watch life pass them by, to simply accept whatever's dished out to them. Some folks maybe, but not me. I'm a go-getter. And Boris just kind of appears outside the door in his Rambo-fied get-up from the cover, and he's in a Rambo pose. And I'm going to go get him. You tell him, Boris. He's back outside, <laughs> though, uh, skulking right near the garbage can. And then he thinks to himself, if Dave doesn't catch me. Boris gives one look back at home and almost turns around, but then he thinks of. All those titles, the horrendous artwork, the untold damage done to tender young minds, the tremendous potential for wholesale slaughter. And I know my destiny lies before me across mighty rivers beyond the highest hills, past his caption box, and even to the next page. And this is the first time in this issue that uh, the comic breaks the fourth wall, but it won't be the last, folks. Be strap oh, sure. in. <laughs> We're just getting warmed up. Now, uh, Boris is out there for hours, and he sees nary a mutant critter. <laughs> then, suddenly, Boris spies our old friend Usagi Yojimbo out the corner of his eye. And, uh, I mean, you know, nobody says Usagi Ojimbo, but we know it's, it's Usagi, Usagi. I, And it's not even, like, slightly off, either. I mean, it's, no. it's just flat out the, that character. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Usagi Ojimbo is a comic about a samurai rabbit. Uh, it's created by uh, Stan Sakai. It's been published uh, from 1984 till present. I actually still collect it. Yeah. I still get it delivered uh, by It's by Dark Horse. I think it's up to issue... Like volume three, issue like 160 or something by now. And they've got those real fat collections too, right? Just dense. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you, you the can... sagas. I just got one for Christmas. Wow. Right. Awesome. 
Yes. Now, Boris takes out his field glasses, and the caption describes a lot of funny fumbling around with them. Yeah, but we don't see that. It's just we just see him looking through them normally, which I thought was really kind of weird. You know, this is not really using the visual medium to its fullest extent, but eh, whatever. Yeah, we don't know if this was Marvel style or not. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Usagi is uh, he's battling a samurai panda, who we're thinking is probably Panda Khan, who uh, a character that showed up in uh, a lot of Warp Graphics books early on, and uh, he he would be uh, be mixed in with the Ninja Turtles eventually. He even got an action figure out of it. Uh, much like Usagi Yojimbo did. Hmm. Boris goes, because, you know, Usagi's a rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Doc? You a mutant? Radioactive? Usagi's like, what? I don't, he doesn't understand. <laughs> so Boris does the uh, calm, rational thing. He just unloads his gun into him. Right, yeah. <laughs> Even while dying, Usagi reaches for his samurai blade, which Boris respects. He admits that it's a shame that his samurai bunny had to die, since he was well-drawn, and sometimes he was even funny. You know, everybody loves Stan Sakai. You can't say anything bad about him. Yeah, I know, yeah. Uh, but there can be no mercy in this mission. And so he fires a bullet into Usagi's head. And Boris, he also takes the sword. Yeah, you know, make use of that later on. Sure. Next, Boris is in some woods when he comes upon Cerebus, who is named Slobberus here. Uh, it looks precisely like Cerebus the Aardvark, except yes. the vest has, like, pins on it instead of those medallions or whatever or Cerebus buttons, has, yeah. those, those weird buttons. Uh, Cerebus it, the Aardvark is a comic about an anthropomorphic Aardvark barbarian created by it's Dave. It's weird, because uh, I think when when Sim created him, he was, he, he did, uh, you know, he not, informally entered him into the public domain. He wanted Cerebus to be used. Huh. In uh, in comics, I mean, you could use Cerebus. It was, uh, and, and I don't know why they changed the name here to Slobberus. I mean, but it's so visually exact. Oh, it's if, yeah. If it's Dave Sim wanted to, to the I mean, zip-a-tone. yeah. I, I think all of this must be they're all friendly, or you know, they realize, so, yeah. <laughs> realize they wouldn't be because because if Dave Sim wanted to make a case. There'd be no problem. He, he could yes. easily have sued the pants <laughs> off these guys. It, it look, yeah, it looks precisely like Cerebus, except yes. for that one thing. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know why they changed it. Maybe they thought it'd be funnier. Maybe, maybe at the time. I mean, it's been a long time since I read Cerebus. Maybe there was a storyline at the time where he was slobbering a lot. I wonder. I don't remember. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's a comic about an anthropomorphic aardvark barbarian created by Dave Sim, and just it ran from. December 1977 to March 2004, although right now there is a new series called Cerebus in Hell that uh, so far has a number zero preview issue out in the world. I may have seen a number one. I don't really remember. Uh, but anyway, so Slobberus' thing, if you haven't figured it out, is that he slobbers a lot. Yes, we get... Uh... <laughs> yeah. What's this? Someone has killed a rabbit. And then Slobberus' kingdom, no less. This makes Slobberus mad. Slobberus had no love for the rabbit, but if there's killing to be done, Slobberus will do it. What's weird is, too, this is in a thought bubble, so he's even slobbering, <laughs> he's slobbering in his in thoughts. thoughts. <laughs> you know, like, how about you gotta be a slob, anyway? <laughs> Slobberus notices Boris has a gun, and so he tries to approach stealthily. Uh, he breaks a twig with a snap, and Boris actually sees the sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he fires in the direction of the sound effect and hits Slobberus in the shoulder, so Slobberus runs away. <sighs> Slobberus is hurt. Must think. What would Barry Smith's Conan do in a situation <laughs> like this? Slobberus knows. Must get help. 
Ooh, slobberous is bleeding almost as much as slobberous is <laughs> slobbering. Ugh, yucky. And then uh, slobberous decides he has to get to a phone. And uh, <laughs> he doesn't slobber here, so I don't have to do that sound. I know, it's weird. He stops slobbering, <laughs> but all right. He, he controls it. Good thing slobberous is in someone else's book. There won't be phones in mind for another 36,000 issues. But um boom. Uh, so Slobberus calls the Tampa mice, and that's certainly a reference to Hamster Vice, and we'll get yeah. to them in a minute. <laughs> Slobberus frantically screams for help on the phone. They put him on hold, and Boris tracks him down while he's standing there waiting. <laughs> Boris goes, I gotta admit, Porky, you gave it a good try. But do you really want to drag this out for a full 300 issues? I think not. Yeah, more commentary on the length of the series, I'm sure, here. Yes. Slobberus is shot between the eyes with a poom. Just then, those Tampa mice show up, and yes, it's two mice that look like Don Johnson and uh, Philip Michael Thomas from the hit 80s TV show Miami Vice. And it was a comic book called Hamster Vice, a parody of Miami Vice, but with hamsters. This was uh, created by Dwayne Ferguson, a.k.a. Muddy May Suggins. Uh, volume 1, 1986, went nine issues. Volume 2 and 89 went two issues. Uh, the Tampa mice hop out of their sports car and aim their guns at Boris. They're about the same size as Boris, roughly, which kind of seems wrong. Yeah, I don't know, it doesn't seem like they should be smaller, but what do I know? Uh, the Don Johnson hamster says, throw down your weapons and suck concrete. And then Philip Michael Thomas goes, ditto fuzz face. Is that how he sounds? Uh, close enough. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Is he the black one? He's the, he would be the black one. I didn't do a good Don Johnson either, but, you know, someone gritty is all we need. That's what we need. Uh, then Boris runs down an alleyway, and he's firing his gun behind him, which lets off a ting-tang, walla-walla, bing-bang sound effect, <laughs> yep. which is great. <laughs> so weird. It hits a Philip Michael Thomas hamster in the arm. Yeah, Don Johnson hamster says, Ah, oh, man, he's shooting up my car, and I just washed it. Then PMT hamster goes, Your car? Forget your car. Look at my arm. I'm shot. Hey, chill out, man. You're getting too involved. Remember, it's just a job. Which uh, I don't get the reference, but I'm guessing that's from the show. I guess so. I don't remember <laughs> them being, you know, I, I know that I know that Don Johnson was sort of more laid back. Phil and Michael Thomas was sort of more by the book, but I don't he remember the, it uh, yeah. constantly re reiterating it. But again, I haven't spent a long time, so. Uh, the Tampa Mice, uh, they get into the end of the alley and they find that no one is there. Don Johnson Hampshire says, he couldn't have gone far. Maybe he's in that dumpster. No way, man. That bear's not smart enough to think of a trick like that. Turns out he's exactly smart enough to think of a trick like that. And that's not really a very complex strategy. You know, hop in the bin at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Where else could he be? Come on. These guys are supposed to be cops, for God's sakes. Anyway. <laughs> uh, Boris pops right out of the dumpster and shoots the Tampa mice to death. I'd give you the old coup de gras, but those bullets cost money. Besides, your readers have to suffer. Why not you? I don't think Mike Richardson liked this comic book, uh, Hamster Vice, I, I, do you? I don't think so. I yeah. think he thought it was crap. I think he had a bone to pick with it. So um, right after that, they're, they're dispensed with, and now comes the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They show up, but it's, of course, not the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's the juvenile deviant hard-shelled assassins who mm. look exactly like the turtles down to the, the t again hsa right yeah. <laughs> right exactly that was good. that was your favorite you know you like go bots and you like the other that one yeah um 
it's it's a pretty good attempt of peter laird's drawing style i think Absolutely. but every character has a big letter a on their chest and i wasn't sure was this an, you think this is a nod to archie comics no they weren't at archie yet no no but uh, the, I, I, oh just I, like a nod to, I, I don't understand why they all have an a i guess they're all assassins to sort of probably for assassin to or, different or, <laughs> or they're all adulterers that was the other could idea. be the scarlet letter it <laughs> yeah. is black and white comic we don't know yeah, I guess maybe it's I, Alvin and the Chipmunks. I don't know. So I mean, I mean, does that means that the uh, the juvenile deviant hard shelled assassins could meet up with the Teenage Ninja Turtles because they are slightly visually different. They can. That would be an exciting team up. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, so Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is about four anthropomorphic turtles named after Renaissance painters that practice ninjutsu and also they're teenagers. Hmm. C- created by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, nineteen eighty four, spun off into various properties. Too numerous to list, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics are still published today in a, a couple of forms, as far as I know of, yep. uh, and doing quite well. Movies, everything. Uh, if you don't know about them, I'd be pretty surprised. The assassin. <laughs> how you found this show? Yes. I know, really. Be like, oh, good. I'm glad someone can put me on. Yeah, you picked the wrong one to learn about all about them, but you know, you should, they're they're out there. The the assassins introduce themselves. They've got familiar versions of names used by the turtles, except for Bob who is analogous to Raphael and wields large forks instead of size. And Bob says, We all look alike, but you can tell us apart because we carry different weapons. <laughs> and Boris has saved some of his special ire for the assassins. You're the ones who started this mess, but I'm here to clean it up. Now we get some of the old uh, ultraviolence. Boris kicks Mikey in the midsection, forcing his eyes to burst out of their <laughs> sockets. <laughs> and then Boris dodges a swing of Leo's sword and punches him hard enough to cave in his skull. Like you yes. can see the, the knuckles <laughs> prints coming out the back of his head. Uh, Bob pounces on Morris. This is the fake Raphael. Pounces on Morris while Mikey fumbles around on the ground for his eyes. And Boris grabs Bob by the wrists and halts the attack. Bob says, No fair hurting. Let go. We hard shelled reptile assassins have weak wrists. Weak minds is more like it, if you thought you could take me on. And Boris punches Bob in the face with a thwack. Then decides to finish the job and sinks his sword into the back of Bob's head with a thunk. (laughs) Mikey crawls on the ground, begging for help, finding his eyes, and Boris slices him to death off panel. Mm -hmm. That leaves Donnie. And while Donnie pleads for his life and offers to become Boris's sidekick, Boris yanks him from his shell, revealing some dark briefs with hearts on them grabs his legs, and swings his head into the floor with a bloody splat. This is a full page, by the way. Yes. Sort of a montage (laughs) of action here. And then Boris makes turtle, I mean, assassin soup. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We got a caption from Boris. Later, as I warm myself by my cook fire, I wonder about the task I've set for myself. Am I biting off more than I can chew? Certainly this first day, I've enjoyed the taste of success, but defeat can be bitter and hard to swallow. I decide, I decide to let these thoughts stew for a while. There are other fish to fry, and I don't want to start tomorrow with half-baked plans. Whatever else it might be, this job is certainly no piece of cake. I'm getting a theme here. Yeah. I, I know which side my bread is buttered on. I decide to savor the moment. As they say, a bird in the hand. At least I'm eating well. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like that uh, speech made your stomach rumble there, Chris. That what a I'm little hearing bit. in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Want some of that turtle soup? Oh, sorry, I assassin, soup. assassin soup. Right. Yes. Uh, next, ambush bug is walking nearby. 
though of course it's not ambush bug we get a an alternative name um is he just bushed bug or something like well, that? later on he does i mean we never really really get an alternative name i think it's yeah. just wordplay yeah. yeah they just sort of put it in there but he is different a little bit he is because he is uh he has a gap in his teeth and he's wearing groucho mock glasses yeah. groucho mock glasses uh this is the first uh mainstream character we see and it uh sort of falls out of the the funny animal genre that we've been playing in here mm. uh the real deal ambush bug is erwin schwab who uh got his hand on hands on the ambush bug bodysuit that he uses to teleport uh, it's a satirical comic uh, that always breaks the fourth wall it's kind of deadpool before deadpool mm. Um, created by Keith Giffen's first appearances in DC Comics Presents number 52, cover dated December 1982, published, pub, bleh, published by and in DC Comics. Yep, to this day, in fact. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Uh, Ambush Bug is strolling along talking to Toy, a, a doll analogous to uh, his sidekick. Uh, his sidekick is known as Cheeks the Toy Wonder. But this this toy has an eye patch. Which I, I can't I can't outright say that he never wore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, Cheeks ends up wearing a lot of outfits in Ambush Bug, so it's quite possible. I could I'd be surprised if he wasn't a Nick Fury at one time or something like that. <laughs> anyway, Ambush Bug says, "What's that you say, wonderful toy? You think we're going to run into that bear in the next panel? Why, that's ridiculous! First of all, it's virtually impossible to tell where one panel ends, the next begins, when there's only a single thin line dividing them." This actually references Keith Giffen's plotting style at the time, mm-hmm. which was to stack panels right next and adjacent to each other with just a thick black line in between them. Yep. Ambush book continues. And secondly, don't you think I'd know if that bear was within a hundred miles of Oof! Ambush Bug bumps right into Boris. Of course, of course. <laughs> yes, and Ambush Bug winds up throwing a toy the toy at Boris. Um, he shoots toy to smithereens. Ambush Bug runs away, waving his arms wildly, Keith Giffen style. <laughs> uh, Boris chases him for blocks, but seemingly can't catch up. Boris goes, "Oh, I can't run anything further. I am bushed, Bug. You're too fast for me. I may as well give up and let you go." Then, from inside the garbage can... Really? You mean that? Sure, and to prove it, I'll empty all the bullets in my gun. Uh-huh. But he doesn't empty them the way the bug would like him no. to. He actually just riddles the garbage can with bullets. <laughs> uh, he does check the insides of the smoking uh, bin, and it's not pretty. Yeah, he looks at an ew. Yeah. So now comes, and I'm, this is the one I was least positive about, because I think he did a lot mm-hmm. of changing to this team, but I, I think this is the... Uh, uh, adolescent radioactive black belt hamster. It's gotta be. It's yeah. gotta be. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it looks very similar to their first iteration. Uh, they were they were drawn differently later on. They were picked up by different artists. But at this time, this is they had like new wave type of shades and stuff. And... Yeah. They they each had and they each had a little gimmick and they all had little button noses and they they looked very similar to this. But I'm just not 100 percent positive because there's mm. no there's no like glossary in the back or there's no indicator no. <laughs> but but i'm pretty sure uh boris calls them the fledgling fluoroscopic brownie button rodents um but these guys look more like hoodlums than the than the original characters but i don't know whether that that was an artistic decision uh, one of them's even carrying a gigantic automatic weapon which i don't think was a big thing for the black belts but again not <laughs> not super familiar but i do know that the adolescent radioactive black belt hamsters were anthropomorphic hamsters that were blatant ripoffs of TMNT, although they call them a parody. Yes. Uh, can you make a parody of a parody, folks? That's something for you to discuss on your own. 
Um, <laughs> co-created by Don Chin and Patrick Parsons, who drew the first volume under the name Parsonovich, 1986-1989, nine issues. And like I said, it was picked up later by other artistic uh, teams and whatever, but I didn't bother getting into that. Boris corroborates our supposition about what these groups par- what group these guys parody. At least the assassins were originals. You guys aren't even worth my time. Line up, boys. Let's get this over with before the 3D issue. Which references a really popular black and white comic gimmick at the yes. time was to make these 3D issues. Uh, Boris sprays his gun, peppering the area with bullets and sending the rodents scrambling. One of the rodents, named Bruce, is dressed like an Indiana Jones and uses a whip <laughs> to grab... This just seems so weirdly random, but it yeah. uses a whip to grab Boris by the neck. Boris yanks the whip and spluts Bruce right into a wall. Um, another montage page where he destroys the rest of the crew, uh, beating rodents with other rodents, smashing them into each other. It's pretty brutal. It is. Um, now, Boris realizes that this rate of murder will never do. He's going too slow. Uh, while making some hamster fillet and sitting on a box of hamster helper, more evidence of what these guys parodied, uh, mm-hmm. he, he actually chases them with like a meat grinder towards the end there. Oh, he's really getting ready to eat him. All right. well, <laughs> he's, he's oh, yeah. Where, where, there he is. <laughs> uh, now, Boris, he's sitting there uh, cooking, and he's thinking, this job's taking longer than I had anticipated. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna get finished by page twenty, I've gotta come up with a plan. Think, Boris, think. The next panel is an invitation, obviously created by Boris. It reads open house. All mutant, radioactive, black belt, ninja, barbarian, superpowered, cute, funny animals or critters. You are cordially invited to view my new GE toaster oven. Free beer. And then we get four panels of furry, funny animals discussing the invite. So I see uh, a mildly microwave prepubescent kung fu gopher. <laughs> looks like Splinter's smoking a cigarette, right? Is that you think I that's think who that so. is? It's got to be. Yeah. It looks just like the art style. Uh, I'm not sure who the dog is. That could be a variety of cartoon dogs. I really, I just yeah. don't know. It could be uh, just a generic dog, yeah. And, but the last one was the weirdest one. It was the Ewoks, as they were published and drawn for Marvel Star Comics imprint yep. at the time, which is why. <laughs> Yeah, why why get on the Ewoks case? That's it's a star comic. I know, it's, it's for little kids, kids like whatever. <laughs> They're not trying to make a statement. Yeah. <laughs> now uh you know, the promise of the free suds turns uh turns this to be a uh, fairly well populated and attended shindig. All the talking anthropomorphic animals are here, and then some. We can't name them all, but we're gonna do a bunch. We've got uh, our favorite furry animal, our favorite funny animal, Flaming Carrot. Yeah, I don't know what <laughs> that doesn't really fit in there, but okay. Uh, Opus the Penguin from uh, Bloom County. Uh, Rubber Duck from Captain Carrot and the Zoo Crew. Sylvester the Cat from Looney Tunes. A Smurf. Droopy Dog. We got also Cecil the Hand Puppet Dragon from Beanie and Cecil. A Don Martin character picking his nose. Wild E. Coyote from Looney Tunes. Howard the Duck. A preteen, dirty jean, kung fu kangaroo. And I might even see a character from Walt Kelly's Pogo in there, I think. That's I hard think to tell. so. Yeah. Uh, next up, my favorite funny animal, Grew the Wanderer. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, just, they're just picking on every human comic there is here. He even says, uh, did I err? It's like, yeah, hey, you probably are in the wrong place. <laughs> You're in the wrong spot, buddy. Uh, we got Goofy Gobe- the, the, the Goofy Gophers from Looney Tunes. Jerry and Nibbles from Tom and Jerry. Peter Porker, the amazing, uh, the spectacular Spider Ham. Yep, he's in his black symbiote suit, which is was a thing that was going on at the time. And that that was a comic I really loved, along with Captain Carrot, actually. And yes. a couple of these that we're mentioning here. 
Uh, we also have Captain Carrot from that aforementioned Captain Carrot and his zoo crew. We got Bullwinkle the Mo- Moose, Woody Woodpecker, Garfield the Cat, and Denton Fix from Amazing Man. And I'm that's I'm, a deep cut. I bet we're we're missing a bunch. There are even a couple that look kind of familiar to me, but I couldn't I couldn't figure them out. I couldn't suss them out. So there's a handful of other ones. If you guys can pick out the rest of them, please let us know. <laughs> uh, Boris has lured them all with his new GE toaster oven, which is displayed on its own table under three spotlights. See, truth in advertising, he didn't lie. He did. They are celebrating a new uh, toaster oven. Then Boris smashes through the window and, well, kills everyone with his SMG. Except for (laughs) Droopy Dog, who he spares. You can go. I like you. Thanks, bub. (laughs) So, a, a lot of the characters get their own last words. None of them are particularly noteworthy or memorable. And I don't think that, uh, I, I know for sure I'm not talented enough to uh, voice act. I think I've already done like six voices for Boris so far, so. Yeah, <laughs> considering some of these characters have actual voices, I was like, yes. eh, probably. But really, it's, it's really nothing. They all get their own little gimmick or whatever. It's not really that uh, exciting. But they die very bloodily, and uh, there's gore, gore galore, as much as you expect to see in a black and white comic. Um, now David shows up during the carnage, and he's very upset. He says, Boris! How could you do this? Easy, Dave. You just find a mutant critter, point the Uzi, and bang, dead meat. No, I mean this. How could you kill all these cute critters? Some of them were my favorites. Well, maybe not my favorites, but Boris, this is murder. And then a single spotlight falls on Boris. No, Dave, this is justice. Sure, it was messy, and some innocents were caught in the crossfire. But it was a job that needed doing, and I'm proud that I was the one that got to do it. Imagine what the future would have been, a, been like if I hadn't. I, I guess you're right. There might have been one. There might have one day been as many mutant animal books as there are superheroes. Ugh. David tells Boris he's got to go clean up the carnage, but Boris has other ideas. Sorry, Dave, but it'll have to wait. The job isn't finished yet. There's still one more group, and they're the worst of the bunch. <laughs> and Boris takes cover behind a corner, <laughs> while three Care Bears control yeah. the sidewalk towards him. Again, what's your beef with the Care Bears, dude? You know what I mean? Like, that's literally for chill, little children. Anyway. Yes. Uh, this takes us to our epilogue. We got Boris back in his treehouse, and he selects a comic book from his shelf. Which is kind of a weird way to store single issues. I mean, there's a reason you put them in a box, and it kind of makes them easier to reference. But okay, yes. I, you, I just keep them in the box. Yeah. I mean, I mean, can, can you identify most of your comics from the spine? Do you think you just be like, <laughs> oh, well, the way those staples are placed, that's definitely a spectacular Spider-Man. Gotta be, gotta be. <laughs> Boris goes, "What's this?" And he op- it opens the comic in a tight panel. Hey, this is great. The next panel. Uh, pans out so we can see that Boris is reading the very same comic we're reading. Mm. Boris the Bear number one. Clever. To which Boris says, now that's what I call entertainment. And then the multiverse cracks open and the anti-monitor <laughs> threatens to devour the world. That's usually, that's usually what happens in these situations. So. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the last page is a sort of a crummy letter from the creator. Uh, presumably James Dean Smith. Uh, he doesn't sign um, it or identify himself, but I'm like, yeah. well, it's not Michael Richardson. I don't think it's Randy, you know, so it's got to be anyway. Uh, and then we also get the promise of a brand new issue in 30 days. And that does conclude Boris the Bear number one. Uh, what did you what did you think of it overall? 
I, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. uh, you know, I, I wasn't exactly sure what I, I've got a few of these in my collection. I just haven't, I haven't gotten to them yet. And uh, it just, it's, it always stood out to me as something I should check out and I never really got around to it. I'm glad we, I'm glad we had this opportunity. Yeah. It's, it's definitely very silly stuff. And yeah. uh, you know, it doesn't you, take itself too seriously. You got to read it in, in context of the time, especially yeah. since, uh, you know, who the hell knows who the adolescent ninja black belt hamsters are or whatever, you know, like Kung they, Fu kangaroos. Yeah. yeah no one no one's there we are talking about some characters that are long lost to history although a lot of them came out like exactly at this time so this is really a contemporary book for 1986 uh the art is pretty good for this for black and white comics you know it's neither like it's it's like neither as bad as like a crappy high school student but it pretty much Mm -hmm. isn't really ready for prime time it's not polished yeah. yeah but it's it's definitely good enough um and you know you pretty much see everything conveyed as uh you know as gory as it is meant to be so uh, i enjoyed it i and i did appreciate the opportunity i definitely wouldn't probably have never looked at this without it being yeah. requested so I, i'm glad to do it it also did kind of bring me back to the uh black and white comics of the 80s which i sure. knew a little bit about back then um but we do as always we i i've been warning we have a packed back half of the episode and uh we are going to bring it to you but first we're going to take a little break and not sure what it's going to be but it's going to be fantastic hi my name is nimrod antal and i'm here to pitch my theatrical version of the dark horse comic boris the bear when i was collecting comics and ditching school to go see the back to the future trilogy there was about two thousand kids in our school and there was four of us that would you know, claim geekdom, which seems to have become like the modern, I don't even know what it is now. It's just everybody seems to claim that they were there. Boris, Boris for me was kind of my in to, to that world. I think I was about like 12. Dark Horse had just start, started at that point. Their second publication was a book called Boris the Bear. Uh, it encompasses quite a few characters that seem to be very popular at the moment. And I think that taking advantage of that could be interesting. I think that at the moment it seems that the studios seem to be very reluctant to touch anything that resembles originality. So I was just, I've come to you today in order to uh, pitch something that I think is appropriate for, for the market at the moment. And that is comic book heroes and comic book characters seem to be the ones that, you know, are, are grabbing people's fascination. I am so utterly sick of comic book movies that I've decided to make the ultimate comic book movie and bring you. Boris the Bear. And if you're not familiar with Boris the Bear, he's a teddy bear. And, and I know that we have Ted, wonderful film Ted, take advantage of the wave of Ted at the moment as well and continue down the path of teddy bears. The only interesting thing about Boris is that he's actually a robot. You have an opportunity to interject a Terminator-esque kind of tone to the film while still keeping the, the cuddly cuteness of the teddy bear. Boris is on a mission to basically kill every single comic book character known to man. And I think at the moment, given this complete saturation in the market, aversion and and reluctance to do anything that resembles originality, you know, I think that this is the answer. It's the final go. It's the final big kind of swing at the ball. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Cosmic Treadmill with Chris and Reggie. Yo. Just wanted to say we were talking earlier about uh, Don Rickles' documentary and what its nickname was, or what that documentary was titled, and it's uh, Mr. Warmth. Hmm. Uh, there's even a longer subtitle after that that I don't. There have. is, yeah. But that was that was his name. His like uh, nickname was Mr. Warmth because he was so warm and accommodating to all people, as anyone totally. who knows his routine would know. 
<laughs> so uh, we're going to do a little uh, cleanup here like we usually do. And like I told you, there is a packed section. We are going to be uh, talking a little bit about the industry at the time. So uh, that hopefully will give you guys a little more context for, uh, you know, the comics world when this uh, Boris the Bear came out. So the publication history for Boris were the uh, that the first 12 issues were published under Dark Horse Comics, but then there was a disagreement with the publisher. Uh, James Dean Smith decided to go the self-publication route, began publishing under Nicotat Comics, where it would remain until its 34th issue, November 1991. 34 issues. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. That's um, a long run for a book like this. It really, it's a long run. <laughs> we say it all the time, but it's a long run for any book, you know? But yeah. <laughs> it, it, this was the only time that that could have happened, you know what I mean? I could see a Boris the Bear type book coming out now, but not, not more yeah. than, like, Four, <laughs> yeah, <know>? no. <laughs> uh, and that fourth one would be a stretch. That would be coming out of somebody's pocket on credit cards, yes. kind of situation. <laughs> but Boris would eventually return to Dark Horse, appearing in Dark Horse Presents. We also have uh, Boris's Adventure Magazine. This was launched alongside the main Boris title sometime around 1988. I can't get a real good date on it because none of the none of like the comic sites that I generally research on or yeah. show it because it was like. I guess it was a magazine. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, it ran very, very inconsistently and ran for four total issues, officially being canceled nine years later in 1997. Yeah, four, four, four issues in nine years, not a great. That, that's, no. that's more what we expect to see. <laughs> <laughs> then we have Oasis Comics. Uh, James Dean Smith launched an official Oasis Comics blog on October 18th, 2008, which is still there. It's oasiscomics.blogspot.com. There, he laid out a plan to bring Boris back through a weekly webcomic strip that he was going to call Boris the Bear the Strip. Ten days later, he released an image that was to be the cover of a one-shot called Boris the Bear Pissed, with plans of a uh, release in September of 2009. Oh, I'm sorry, summer of 2009. Uh, throughout November of 2008, he posted a few more times. He introduced a few new uh, characters, and uh, he made promises that Boris would officially resurface in January of uh, 2009 at OasisComics.com. That does not appear to have panned out. Um, OasisComics.com is just like a squatted site now. Huh. Uh, there's nothing there. Um, and we did look for an email address to contact him, like we said earlier, but nothing listed. Yeah, it seems to have vanished off the face of the earth. But let that be a lesson to you folks. Don't go off telling people about what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. Just do it first, <laughs> and then talk about your plans. But uh, Yes. So this is a short, a little short word that's going to end up being a lot longer than the short <laughs> word uh, about the comics landscape in 1986. I actually read somewhere today that this was a a huge year for comics. This may have been the actual like peak of the market in a way. Uh, I don't, you know, it didn't. Not the prices were driven up, but the fervor mm. was driven up, uh, and so many titles debuted, and this was definitely a huge uh, black and white explosion. Now, what caused that? was the publication of Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in March of 1984. And after that came out, and there had been black and white comics before that. Uh, sure. And independent comics. But once Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out, because it was so sought after, that, that first issue of which they printed under 5,000 copies, that yeah. newsprint issue, I mean, that thing goes for many thousands of dollars today. And, and even the second print can go for quite a bit of money. Mm -hmm. Um... It exploded the independence comic scene. So here are some of the titles from 1985. These are all black and white comics 
that came essentially in the wake of uh, the Turtles. And it's Alpha Track, Black Moon, Cult Special, Cruise, The Fish Police, Fugitoid, Gizmo, Heavy Armor, Heroic Fantasy, Kelvin Mace, Killer, Tales by Timothy Truman, <laughs> Neat Stuff, which I wish did run for a while. That's Peter Bag, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Radium and its Intergalactic Odd Squad, Revolver, Shadow Star, Shuriken, Skeleton Empire, or Skellen Empire, Space Arc, Tales from the Anniverse, Those Annoying Post Bros, Thunder Bunny, Wizard Works, and Wordsmith. Aye, aye, aye. They all sound like G.I. Joe names. They are, and they all sound like something uh, <laughs> Rob Liefeld could have named, too. I like that. <laughs> Not enough blood. No. <laughs> uh, that one character you named, that, that, that book you called Fugitoid, that also got a Ninja Turtles action figure. Really? Wow. Yes, right. it, <laughs> they, they were friends to a lot of these uh, black and white comics. Um, let's look at some more. We got uh, 3D Alien well, Terror. This is 86. This is 1986. Yeah, so, okay. So, oh, that was in the wake. This is this is a, a couple years after. Yeah, and, and and this would have been the same years as Boris the Bear number one. So I, I just listed about oh, maybe 20 titles. Sure. Let's uh let's get to them. We got a 3D Alien Terror, the 39 Screams, the Adolescent Radioactive Black Belt Hamsters, the Adventurers, the Adventures of Captain Jack, the Adventures of Rick Raygun and Quasi Nodos, <laughs> <laughs> the Adventures of Spencer Spook, the Adventures of Theon, uh, Alien Ducklings, Amazing Wazoo, Amusing Stories. Aristocratic, <laughs> aristocratic, extraterrestrial, time-traveling thieves, Atomic Man comics. And Bade Biker and Orson, Barabbas, Barbaric Tales, Black Star, Bafo Laughs, Boos and Gar, Bushido Blade of Zaitauchi Walrus, uh, Captain Confederacy, Cases of Sherlock Holmes, Cecil Kunkel, Clint, Coda, Cult, The Cosmic, Crackbusters, which was an uh, anti-drug PSA comic. Hmm. Critters, Cross Swords, Crow of the Bear Clan. Doc Bruce, Doc Visions, Dead World, Death Rattle Volume 2, Demon's Blood, Destroy, Dimension Z, Dragon Quest, Dragon Ring, The Dreamery, The Dungeoneers, Eagle Crystal, Earth Law, Earth Law, Reign of the Dragon Lord, Elf Lord, Elf Trek, Empire Lanes, The Eradicators, Evaristo Deep City, X-Mutants, number one, and uh, one that I actually just read a few months ago, Failed Universe, oh, yeah? which was a, a parody of uh, Marvel's new universe. H- how was and, that? And uh, it was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was mostly like shots at Shooter, basically. Yeah, what else could it have been? I mean, it would have been brand new. This would have been the year, right? That debuted. The year, 86, yeah. yeah. Uh, going on, we got The Fat Ninja, Future Beat, Gambit, not that Gambit. <laughs> Gedtar, The Last Naboo, G.I. Jackrabbits, Geriatric Gangrene Jiu-Jitsu Gerbils, Giant, giant Size Mini Comics, Gnat, Nat Rat, The Dark Nat Returns, Gore Shriek, <laughs> Grips, Hamster Vice, Happy Birthday Nat Rat, which was probably a one-off, Hey Boss, Icarus, It's Science with Dr. Radium, Jenks, Jax and the Hellhound, Captain Clean, Labor Force, the Life Brigade. Mad Dog Magazine. The March Hare. The Miami Mice Comic. Micra. Midnight. The Rebel Skunk. The Mighty Mites. Mildly microwaved prepubescent kung fu gophers. Murder. Naive interdimensional commando koalas. Nazrat. Nerve. 
Night Streets, Ninja High School, which I think might even still be going on oh, in that, some form. Or that one I remembered from. Uh... That was one from Antarctic Press. Oh, all right. Yeah, um, Ninjutsu, uh, one-shot parody issue, open season, the phony pages, PJ Warlock, Pork Knight, this little piggy, Porsche Prince of the Glamazons, preteen Dirty Jean Kung Fu Kangaroos, <laughs> and the Protectors. Yeah, it might be worth remembering that to, to say that uh, Dark Knight Returns came out a year before this, so this was definitely yeah. uh, inspired a lot of work. <laughs> and we also have Prideri Terra, The Puma Blues, Reagan's Raiders, Revolving Doors, Rip in Time, Roachmill, Rockheads, Samurai Funnies, Samurai Penguin, Secret Doors, The Silent Invasion, Stark, Future, Strata, Street Wolf, The Survivors, T-Bird Chronicles, Tales from the Stone Troll Cafe, Tales of the Jackalope, Thor Sverd, The Sword of Thor, Thunder Mace, Tigers of Terra, Families of Altered Wars. I don't know why I really <laughs> laughed at that title. <laughs> Troll Lords, Twisted Tantrums and the Purple of the Purple Snit. Undie Dog, Unicorn Isle, the Unicorn Kings, Warlock, What Is, The Face, The Wizard of Time, <laughs> The Wrong Comic, Yummy Fur, and finally, Zell, Sword Dancer. Wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> these, like we said, these are all black and white. They would eventually, some of them would eventually be reprinted in color. Um, we're also going to talk about the proliferation of comic shops. Yeah. So, by, that by, by the way, that was that was roughly 125 comics in 1986. How about that? Yikes! <laughs> it was, the the business was booming. Oh yeah. Um, and continuing with that thought, uh, comic shops popping up. Uh, by 1985, the number of district, direct distributors in North America peaked with approximately 20 companies. To contrast that with today, how many do we have now? Uh, uh, one? <laughs> <laughs> so just, we've got just the one. That's all. Yeah, so we've got, you know, a dozen and a half back then, and we got one now. Yeah. Uh, now, many of these were multi-warehouse operations. Uh, there were also an unknown number, probably in the dozens, of uh, sub-distributors who bought DC and Marvel product from the larger companies and then resold to retailers, mm. maybe in, like, smaller towns or, or whatnot. Yeah, I got a little list of them here. Yeah, um, most of these sub-distributors uh, were in cities where, in which the direct distributors themselves did not, at least not yet, have warehouses. We got cities like uh, Philadelphia, Boston, Columbus, Ohio, Madison, Wisconsin, Lansing, Michigan, Indianapolis, and Berkeley, California. Uh, soon it seemed as though comic book shops were in every neighborhood. And I really try, I really looked for numbers on this. I just couldn't find an actual, like... Same here, yeah. Any kind of guess number of, of how many existed, yeah, uh, comparison. But you tell a story, you know, growing up, you had three in your neighborhood on Long Island, right, that you were able to we get We had to. Uh, five that we could walk to. Five that you could walk to. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's late 90s you're talking about, basically. Early 90s. And uh, But by 94, there were, like, two. Yeah. So, you know, and also for me, uh, you know, I had a one I could walk to, and then in Manhattan, God, there were so many. Oh, all over the Forbidden place. Forbidden Planet had two locations. Uh, a couple of them had two locations. I don't even know if Midtown existed, but they really were everywhere. It was a huge mm -hmm. phenomenon. And this, and of even course... Like what? Like pharmacies were breaking off into doing comics, like not not just comics on the rack, like like you know non direct market. Yeah. But we had uh, we had like pharmacies and like hallmarks that would have comic sections, like they were actually like a comic book store. 
we in had a, corner. Uh, we had a uh, a hobby shop near me, which I, I assume mm-hmm. those don't exist either, basically for like model <laughs> model trains. I don't think people do that stuff anymore, but what's uh, a train? Exactly. Uh <laughs> but stuff like hobbies like that, but they weren't they didn't have any comics until right around here in the yeah. mid eighties, suddenly they had a little growing comic section and uh i think they actually went in on all comics and then they had to close down in the mid 90s so there you go that's the life cycle (laughs) of a late 80s comic shop um but of course all these comics and all of this uh people coming into it uh added to the growing comic book speculation um this is something we talk about quite a bit on weird comics history kind of touch on it here and there and we're gonna Touch on it here, again, uh, the second generation of comic books fans, they would create the need for a back-issue market, uh, leading the, to the opening of more and more specialty stops, as we, as we just discussed. Now, in 1974, you could buy an average copy of Action Comics number 1 for about $400. Okay. Think about that. Yeah, <laughs> which makes me like, can we take, get in the time machine, please? Yes. Although, keep in mind, $400 was worth a lot more than it is now, but still sure. still an affordable amount, uh, not not a ridiculous amount. In not ten, a life-changing amount, yeah. Ten years later, in 1984, that comic cost $5,000. So even if you sold them, even if you bought one and then sold it, you made a massive profit here, you know? Absolutely. Uh, by the end of that decade, comic sales at auction houses such as Christie's or Thoth- Sotheby's were so impressive that the New York Times would take note. And this would really kick speculation to high gear when the Times yeah. and then the Washington Post ran something actually saying that it was good, a good investment to buy comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1990, December 1991, Detective Comics 27 sold for a record-breaking $55,000. A few months <laughs> later... I know. Well, listen to these like prices. We're like these are nothing, you know. Now, nothing. Uh, a few months later, a copy of Action Comics shattered that record, selling for eighty-two thousand five hundred. I mean, I mean, you know, the thing is, what we're seeing is this isn't like an organic, slight growth over time. Yeah, it's it's crazy speculation. Crazy. Yeah. yeah, people are just like, oh, now I got to dump, you know, six, seven figures on this. Let me go to it. Um, as a result, even comics of recent vintage at that time, they saw giant price gains. Chris has a story he's told a few times about Young Blood number one being sold yes. for five bucks on the day of because it was Rob mm-hmm. Leefield, man. I won't Leefield, man. If you listen to this, you've heard it before. I won't bring you through it, but it, but it's it's totally indicative of this time. And I remember, didn't we say something? Uh, I can't remember, but I seem to remember that that happened with the Turtles too. That first issue, like. Oh, I believe it. People were selling it for a hundred bucks within that week. Mm-hmm. Um. So anyway, uh, the idea was a comic that sold initially for sixty cents would often fetch a, a thousand percent return on the investment just a few months later, which was true at the time. Sure. This brought a lot of new faces on the scene. Some of them who just saw comics only as the investments, and uh, really puffed it up. You know, the prices kept going up and up, and then the crash. But you this keep is, blowing air into a balloon, it's eventually going to pop. It's eventually going to pop. Are you sure it doesn't just get bigger and bigger until it takes over? <laughs> I never... Until we can all live inside of exactly. uh, uh, chocolate candy bars and, and, and happiness. It's great. After, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I never thought it would get as big as the universe. <laughs> well, here we go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's so funny. We're talking about this today on the day that the Dow Jones hit 20,000 points and everyone's celebrating. And I'm like, I don't... I don't know if that's such a good thing, but anyway, <laughs> listen, look to the comics for lessons, folks. Uh, but, you know, this, this isn't all, this isn't a show about speculation. It's just about no. 
So at this time, though, you know, there were 126 black and white comics on the stands with Boris. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, it's sort of a commentary. That comic is sort of a commentary on this proliferation and this speculator's market. And uh, yep. I really appreciate that about it. And it's not, that's, it's not beating you over the head with it. In fact, it's, if anything, it's really just beating you over the head with the gore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the but, satire is secondary. Yeah, exactly. But it was, uh, it, it, it was cool. And, and if you knew about the time, I think you'd understand a little better. Absolutely, and uh, Boris would continue his satirical ways uh, in parody covers. Uh, his uh, the covers of many of his uh, issues were, you know, taken wholesale from uh, other comics, and mm-hmm. uh, and he would just uh, parody them. Uh, issue two was a Transformers cover. Uh, issue number four was a was a Man of Steel cover, like the Burn Mini. Wow! <laughs> it was it looked just like. Uh, it looked just like one of those covers where you know, like a third of it is like cut off. Oh right, right, figure. right. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> I got, I got to look these up. Yeah. Uh, issue these. number five is a Swamp Thing. It's called Dump Thing. Clever, very good. Uh, yes. Issue six, Batman: Shadow of the Bat Bear. Number seven is Elf Quest. It's just him riding a wolf alongside of uh, Cutter and Skywise. Is it sort of? A, is uh, it sort of a uh, warp style artwork? Yeah. Too? Okay. Yep. Cool. Yeah, uh, issue number nine is uh, it's it's not only a GI Joe parody, <laughs> but it's also parodying the uh, Marvel 25th anniversary covers. Wow, where it would be like a like a headshot with uh, all the characters around and like a bo- uh, like a border. Oh yeah, 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 I remember. Yeah, <laughs> it's it was like that, and uh, Boris is dressed up like Snake Eyes. Wow. Um, yeah, issue eleven is the Thunder Agents, which actually feature the Thunder Agents in that comic. Um, 13, The Punisher, 16, Indiana Jones, 17, Black Hawk, which I think was like Bear Hawk or Black Bear, one or the other. Uh, 21, he was the Punisher again, and 26, he was Daredevil. Punisher was really popular at the time. Yeah, you know? He was indeed. <laughs> there was a reason for that. But I, I, think, I think that's really hilarious. Like, you really had to be there to yeah, get the oh, full brunt certainly. of these covers, you know, and it's, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of times people make things today thinking that it's going to be something for the ages. And yeah. uh, I'm glad to see something that's just like let's be funny today. Let's make let's make an impact now when it you know yep. when it when it counts. So uh, I wouldn't mind looking at the rest of these. I do remember the comics industry after that, but I don't know if we will have time to go through them in detail. <laughs> um, but if you we want to know what you think, or if you have any yes. information about uh, what's his name, Richard Dean. Um, James James J- Dean Smith. James Dean Smith. That's right, and not your uncle James Dean Smith. No. Or and we're still looking for Mark Nevelo too. So That's if you right. Want him. That's right. <laughs> we, got, we should put out milk cartons. You know, have you seen <laughs> these guys? Like, we don't even, we don't even know what their Nevelo. pictures are. I don't know what James Dean Smith looks like, so that would be a Me either. tough one. Yeah. Um, but anyway, if you do have anything to write to us, or even if you want to pick a comic for us to read in a future episode, or like sure. I'll say, I have been getting some complaints. Where's my comic? It's coming. It's down the line. We have a list. You mm-hmm. know, we're getting to them. We do this every other week, so we do the best. You know, but it, I thought we were going to go daily. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> you know, if we can get a uh, get a sponsorship. Anyway, we're at weirdcomicshistory at gmail dot com. You can read our writings uh, pretty much every week on weirdsciencedccomics.com. I'm on Twitter at Reggie Reggie. I'm at Ace Comics. And every day you should go read Chris's personal blog. Chris is on infiniteearth.blogspot.com. Today you did Ronin. I did. Ronin it blew my one. mind with that one. You know, <laughs> still with it, you do a different book. I, I didn't even tell him what the hell your blog's about. It's not. It's not uh, Chris's laundry list. He does a different no. DC comic review every day. Um, now over a year, right? Or getting uh, 
one week from yesterday, or it's going to be the uh, 31st of January. Wow. Is a year. Almost. Every day. Every day. He has not missed a day, and he's even done weird, you know, some vertigo, some uh, other... Wildstorm, yeah. But still within this, the same family, and uh, I think it's spectacular. It's uh, what brought us together. You got a good commentary. You got ads at the end, <laughs> so I recommend you go check it out. Put it on your bookmark, whatever the kids do these days on the internet. <laughs> Uh, but I think that's all we got for him this week from Boris the Bear. You got anything else for him, Chris? No, just, uh, this was, uh, like you said earlier, this is not a book that we would have picked to review mm-hmm. um, or or destroy, as the case <laughs> may be with our voices. But uh, I'm very glad that uh, I'm very glad that we did. I'm I'm happy that uh, folks are requesting these books that are a little bit more offbeat and. Uh, Broaden in my horizons. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, like like we say, we will do any comic. Now, it, mm-hmm. I, I I want one caveat. If you pick a crazy racist comic or a porno <laughs> comic, we're not going to do that one. I'm, I'm just telling you up front. We're going to do the check tracks. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't think you're going to get us by like, oh, we want you to do a cherry pop tart. Yeah, we're not doing those. Okay, but, but if you but pretty you know we can get a little salty on this and uh, you know might do almost the cat dancer eventually. <laughs> maybe maybe Chris will be doing some solo shows in the future. Uh, but but in general though, you really I mean it, even if you don't know if we'll do it. Throw it out there. You never know. Sure. And we might decide, yeah, that'd be a great one to do. And we always looking for, uh, you know, whatever whatever comics you want to do are good with us. But definitely anything outside of the DC Marvel purview is well appreciated. Absolutely. But until next time, I think I'm gonna, we're going to sign off. And I want you to keep it on the treadmill radioactively. Now let's get it all in perspective For all y'all enjoyment, a song y'all can step with Y'all appointed me to bring rap justice But I ain't 5-0, y'all know it's Nas, yo Great Goose and a whole lot of Hydro Only describe us as soldier survivors Stay laced in the best, well-dressed With finesse in the white tee Looking for white meat Thug girl who fly and talk so nicely Put her in the coupe so she can feel the nice breeze We can drive through the city, no doubt But don't say my car's topless Say the titties is out Newness, here's the anthem Put your hand up that you shoot with Count your loot with Push the pool stick in your new crib Same hand that you hoop with Swing around like you stupid King of the town Yeah, I've been that You know I click clack Where you and your men's at Through the smurf, through the wop Baseball bat Rooftop like we bringing 88 back They shooting Oh, I made you look You a slave to a page in my rhyme book Getting big money Playboy, your time's up with them gangsters, with them dimes at, they shoot.